Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isger, leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. And today we have Trina Tadaris with us, who leads our regulatory center. Welcome, Trina. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. Well, wonderful to have you. I know on a lot of our podcasts as of late, we've been talking about vaccines. And for our listeners, don't worry, we're going to get there as well. But there's other things to think about when it comes to the pandemic, in addition to vaccines, also treatments for COVID-19. And I know, Trina, you wanted to spend a, a few minutes with us today talking about some of the, the treatments out there. And I'll always preface this by saying, hey, we're doing this as you know, kind of science for non-science majors. So let's jump in with some of the treatments that are available. And I think one of them is around antibody therapy. So could you tell us about that? Actually, you know, I'd say that all three therapies that we're going to talk about actually arrive with good news. So we always like to highlight any positive news in the pandemic. And here we have three. And I think the general story with treatments over the previous year is that we have slowly but surely figured out some ways to improve the odds of people, especially people who have been hospitalized with COVID-19. And so one of those treatments actually is a combination antibody regimen. And I'm going to attempt to pronounce these two names correctly. They are mouthfuls. It is Bamlanivimab and a combination with Etizivimab, which is another antibody treatment. And those two together significantly reduced COVID-19-related hospitalizations and deaths in high-risk patients recently diagnosed with COVID-19. So this is the output of a clinical trial of about a thousand patients. And the pharmaceutical company found that the combination of Bamlanivimab and Etizivimab reduced hospitalizations and deaths in high risk patients with COVID 19. There were far fewer events in the combination arm, so the group of patients that received those two together, than in those who received a placebo. And there were 10 deaths in all in the placebo arm, and they were all in the placebo arm. So this is very good news. The company received an emergency use authorization for this combination. The EUA is for adult and pediatric patients 12 years of age or older, weighing at least 40 kilograms. And interestingly enough, the EUA is for a lower dose than was tested in this trial. It's for 700 milligrams of Bamlanivimab and 1,400 milligrams for Etizivimab. And the FDA expects that that will have a similar clinical and virologic effect, and it will also be able to be infused shorter in a shorter period of time than the higher dose. And so that is also a plus. You know, it won't take quite as long to administer this treatment than a higher dose. So that's some good news. We have uh, another treatment that appears to you know have a good effect on folks that are at least of high risk of poor outcomes from COVID-19. Well, let's keep the tongue twisters going, Trina. So um, lots of hard things to pronounce today, but they do very, very important work. There's another another drug or combination of drugs out there, and I'm going to attempt to pronounce this one as tocilizumab. So I think we've got a, a, a lot of things that end with MAB here. Um, <laughs> but could you talk about this other combination and, and what it might be doing? Yeah, so this is some data out of the recovery trial in the UK. And this trial has been going on for quite some time and has produced some of the most definitive results 
on treatments that have come out so far during the pandemic. So this is a very valuable trial. And in here, they had tested tocilizumab and dexamethasone. And dexamethasone is a steroid that has been used for some time and appears to have quite a significant positive effect on patients with COVID-19. And it's a cheap, widely available treatment, which is always good news. And here, they looked at it in combination with tocilizumab, and they found that it had a 14% reduction in the relative risk of death. And so this is a very positive result. The greatest benefit was among patients who were not already on invasive mechanical ventilation at the start. So this is probably for a, a slice of patients in the hospital where we have yet another weapon in our arsenal to help them avoid you know, the, the poorest outcomes from COVID-19 death and perhaps uh, you know, serious, serious outcomes. So another positive piece of news, and perhaps this will be adopted in wider use in hospitals that aren't already giving tocilizumab and dexamethasone together. Well, that's right. And, and it's something that's not often talked about, but simultaneous to all of the vaccine development, we are learning so much more about treatments. And with that, there's another one that you brought to us today, and that is around anticoagulants and what they may be doing to prevent or stop people from having you know, death or, or severe illness. So could you talk a little bit about anticoagulants and what some of the data is showing there? You know, I, I think back to maybe a year ago when we started to learn more about what the symptoms of COVID-19 were. And then it was primarily thought to be um, a kind of pneumonia and a, a primarily a respiratory disease. And then we started hearing about people with clotting issues. And that is when physicians started to give anticoagulants as a preventative. And now here we have an observational study published this month in the British Medical Journal of about 4,300 VA patients. I'll note that 93% of the folks in this study were men. So when we look at clinical trial participation, we like to see that it reflective of the greater, broader community. But here we have almost entirely men. So, you know, put an asterisk on that when it comes to how will this affect women. But nevertheless, here are the results. They looked at these 4,300 patients who were hospitalized between March 1st, so almost a year ago, 2020, and July 31st, 2020, and they found that those who received anticoagulants within 24 hours did much better than those who did not. So 14% of those who did receive anticoagulants within 24 hours died within 30 days versus 19% for those who did not. It represents a reduction in the risk of death. And I think we should note that this was early on in the pandemic when we didn't have a lot of other treatments available to us. And this was sort of the beginning of the use of anticoagulants as a preventative. And clearly, this study shows that there is some benefit to that. There was less benefit among those who are given anticoagulants and who are admitted to the ICU within 24 hours than those not admitted within the first 24 hours. So in other words, it helped those who were sicker less than those who are a little less sick. But nevertheless, now I think anticoagulants are part of standard of care already in many hospitals and for many physicians. This is just part of the thinking of how to prevent some of the clotting issues that crop up with COVID-19, along with all the other symptoms that, that we've learned about along the way. Well, three different treatments, uh, three different studies, and um, you've brought some of those numbers to us today, which is super helpful. Let's go ahead and now and turn our attention to 
vaccines. And throughout the pandemic, we've we focused a lot on the trends and the numbers in terms of infection rates and hospitalization rates and ICU rates and, of course, unfortunately, deaths. But there is another number that we can start looking at, and that is how we're doing around vaccination rates and the rate per day. So let's jump into that, Trina. How are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the story is that the United States is doing better and better and better. If you look you know, just a month ago, we were vaccinating far fewer people per day than we are today. I think the United States in the last couple of days, we've vaccinated something around 2 million people per day. Big mass vaccination sites are being set up. Football stadiums are being converted. And there are now calls for greater supply of vaccine that we cannot keep up with the demand and also the ability to vaccinate. So in some cases, we have people standing at the ready, um, mass vaccination centers ready and, and willing to vaccinate large numbers of people. There's just a uh, not enough vaccine to go around. And that is a very different story than maybe a month or so ago when we had a lot of people who wanted to be vaccinated, a lot of people, the entire population who needs to be vaccinated. And then you had uh, a problem with being able to put shots in arms fast enough. That does not seem to be as much the issue now. Now there's a call for we need more vaccines. And you hear especially this happening from some mayors of large cities who clearly think they can do more people per day than is being done if only they had more vaccine to administer. So I think this is good news. We have heard a lot about um, production being increased by the companies that are producing the vaccines that we have already emergency use authorizations for. It is likely we'll have another vaccine that will get receive an EUA and start being distributed at the beginning of, of March. And so I think that this supply issue likely will start to be eased and, you know, sort of some of these problems about getting shots into arms quickly enough are already being solved. So that's, I think, all around good news. Well, that's really helpful. And I think, you know, one thing that, if you don't mind, I'd just like to mention is, you know, what, one of the things that we talk about in this podcast a lot is what's happening on a national level and, and a lot of averages. And of course, I'm sure many listeners out there are going to have some very individual stories of maybe surprises in the good way of people getting vaccinated way before they thought they would. And others, of course, still struggling to access, you know, vaccination. So certainly something to keep in mind as we move forward. You know, one of the things in HRI that we cover a lot are non-traditional healthcare companies and how non-traditional healthcare companies can sometimes make an incredible impression in the health ecosystem. And you actually have brought to us an interesting story uh, when it comes to vaccinations and learning from actually not healthcare companies at all, but fast food restaurants. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, one of the indelible images from the pandemic so far are just huge lines of cars and people, right? People lined up for tests, cars lined up for tests, and now the same kind of thing happening for vaccinations. And line control, drive-through line control is really the specialty of a whole other industry, the fast food industry. They know how to handle long lines of drive-through cars. And so some states have started to call on fast food companies to help them figure out how to manage lines of cars and do drive-through very quickly and efficiently. And so I think that's one of the interesting pieces of the pandemic is other 
parts of the industry, the non-healthcare industry, offering expertise and learnings to the healthcare industry to sort of help them set up and manage these sort of unprecedented situations for healthcare. And so this is just a really interesting example of that. South Carolina is one example of a state that called in a fast food company to help them after they had long backups in lines. And so they are asking also Memphis, Tennessee did the same. And so I think we'll start or we will see or continue to see other industries loan expertise. The other piece that we've seen is is, um, the football stadiums being repurposed as mass vaccination sites. And they're also lending logistical expertise. They know how to handle large crowds. They know how to handle lines of people trying to get in and out of these facilities quickly and efficiently and safely. And so we see not just the space being loaned, but also these football stadiums using their staff and expertise to help manage large crowds. And so I think that's, again, sort of an interesting interplay between industries that is helping with the vaccination campaign in the United States. Well, I think that's not only interesting, but it is good news. And it is something in terms of, I think, the ingenuity of the system of, of bringing in expertise. Well, this has been super helpful today. We kind of ran through some of the treatments that are out there for COVID-19. Trina, you gave us a a very nice update in terms of the vaccination numbers and then a bit of the color commentary around how non-traditional healthcare companies can actually help us provide these vaccines and through a more efficient manner, especially as we see some of these drive-throughs. For our listeners, we have a lot of information available for you. I think we may have mentioned before our top health industry issues of 2021. That report is out. And if you're looking for a full view of the major issues facing pharma, life sciences, payers, providers, employers, government, any and all things healthcare in the next year, that is available for you at pwc.com forward slash HRI. In addition, coming up, we're going to have some policy and regulatory briefs that will be launching soon on what's going to be happening with the FDA over the next year, as well as HHS and CMS and some of the rules and finalization of regs around surprise billing and transparency and pricing. So lots of good policy information as well that we'll have out there soon and we'll be talking about on the podcast. But with that, this is Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.